All right, well, good morning, church. All right, this morning we're finishing Genesis chapter 29, and we're stepping into Genesis chapter 30, actually about halfway into Genesis chapter 30, actually. And I like, I like names. And uh, when we get into chapters like this, we go over the names. And if you remember when we went through the genealogy in Genesis chapter 4, and we went through the table of nations in Genesis chapter 10, and the, the other genealogy, which is in, at the end of chapter 11, uh, we went over all the names. Well, as it happens today, it's a lot simpler because not only do they tell you the meaning of the names in the passage, but they tell you also the motivation behind why they named them that. So it's, uh, it's a little simpler, but names play a lot into the history of what we are reading here. For example, if you remember back when Abraham sent his servant to find a wife for Isaac, uh, he found Rebecca, and I told you that Rebecca's name, Rivka, in the Hebrew means ensnarer. And some translate her name a tie rope for animals, which means a noose. And uh, and basically, the idea behind that was that she traps others, she entangles others. And uh, and and I said, pay attention to that because that's going to play into things later. Well. And that was an important part of her character that we saw come out at a different time. So I should have done this last week and I forgot, but I'm going to give you the meaning of the names for Leah and Rachel. And so Leah's name in the Hebrew means weary, and it comes from the root meaning impatient or offended. And Rachel's name means you, not as, not as like, ooh, not you know, not, uh, that's not what her name means. It means you as in baby sheep, a female sheep. So let's read Genesis chapter 29, starting in verse 31 through chapter 30, verse 24. This is going to be all about the children of Jacob. So it says, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son, and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also, and she called his name Simeon. And again she conceived and bore a son, and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name will be called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah, and then she ceased bearing. Verse 1, chapter 30. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister, and she said to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? And then she said, Here's my servant, Bilhah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant, Bilhah, as a wife, and Jacob went into her, and Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. And then Rachel said, God has judged me, and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant, Bilhah, conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. And then Rachel said, With mighty wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. And when Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant, Zilpah, and gave her to Jacob as a wife. And then Leah's servant, Zilpah, bore Jacob a son, and Leah said, Good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. 
And Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, Happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. Verse 14. In the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, Then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. And when Jacob came home from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night, and God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. And then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterward, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. And then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the message in your word, even in passages like this, which are just kind of crazy to really try to comprehend exactly what's going on. But in the midst of it, Lord, we see a clear picture of how your sovereignty is above all things. So we thank you for this, Lord, and we pray you just speak this to us this morning. You just speak it to our hearts and draw us closer to you. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. It tells us in the Bible that unless the Lord builds the house, the builder builds in vain. One could argue that back when Abraham married his servant Hagar, that he was trying to build a house on his own, right, with Hagar and Ishmael, and that was in vain. Some say that Jacob here, with everything that's going on in what we just read, is also trying to build his house, because there's a lot of similarities between what's going on here and what happened with Abraham and Hagar, for example, Rachel is barren and Jacob is marrying or having relations with the servants, the maidservants, etc., and Jacob knew that the Lord had promised him and that, uh, that his descendants would multiply as stars into heaven, that his descendants would be like sand on the seashore. So that may have been a motivating factor in his decisions here with his wives. But I'm going to tell you that what's happening here is not the case. The Lord is building this house. This is the Lord working. Regardless of all the marital confusion and mess that's going on here in this family. Uh, This is the Lord building this house, and we see that through everything that's transpired here that's been going on. Why do I say that? Well, we're going to walk through these verses, and I'll tell you. Jacob was coming from a dysfunctional, fractured family of faith, right? Rebecca and Isaac. And seemingly, that family he just came from was a family that was in competition with each other. They didn't trust each other. They're all trying to outmaneuver and outsneak each other. And strangely enough, he's in another now dysfunctional family. Right? He, he married into a dysfunctional family. And, uh, and it seems to be a competitive family now between Leah and Rachel. 
And I mean, the marriage started out as a mess, as we know, as we went over last week with uh, the deception concerning Leah, and it continues to be a mess. And the one issue really that is continuing to spur this whole thing on is what we ended with last week, which stuck in verse 30 of chapter 29 that says, he loved Rachel more than Leah. Right? That's the, the big problem that we have here. Right? Jacob loves Rachel more. Jacob was giving more affection and more attention to Rachel. And with that, Leah understands that his heart belongs to Rachel. And from that, bitter contention arises. Jealousy, envy arises within the family and the competition starts. And as it tells us here, right at the beginning, Rachel was barren. But it also tells us one other thing. It says in verse 31 of chapter 29, it says, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated. Now, hated is a, a strong word, right? Hated is a, a strong word to be using. You know, sometimes when, we, when they translate from the, you know, the Hebrew into the English, you can go back and look at the Hebrew word and you can think, well, maybe hated is just, you know, maybe they pick, there's a kinder way to say it. Some translations say unloved. Right? But when you look at the actual Hebrew word, what does it mean? It means hate. It means actually enemy is what the word means. That means that Leah was an enemy and she was hated by Jacob. It wasn't just that he loved Rachel more. It's that he really didn't like Leah. He wouldn't have worked seven years for Leah had he known what was going on. He wouldn't have worked 14 years for Leah. He did that all for Rachel. So when it says that the Lord saw that Leah was hated, and we look at that and we think, oh, it's a strong word. Jacob can't hate Leah, can he? It wasn't really her fault, was it? I mean, we don't know the whole thing behind all the deception that happened. But, you know, assuming that Leah and Rachel maybe were somewhat conned by their father into this, and Leah actually went into the marriage thinking that Jacob wanted to marry her because she was the older sister, this was custom. Um, maybe she really thought that, so therefore it was a surprise, like it was a surprise to Leah that Jacob didn't actually love her. So from the very beginning of this marriage, the Lord looks down on this union between Jacob and Leah, his first wife, and says, hey, Leah is hated by Jacob. And so what does he do? Well, Rachel's barren, so all the children start coming from Leah. Right, Jacob's in the in the he's got himself into this mess. It's the same idea behind like Matthew chapter six when when Jesus is talking and he says, "No one can serve two masters." Right, for one will hate the the one and love the other. He'll be devoted to one and despise the other. It's the same idea here. Jacob Jacob, you know, hates one and loves the other. Right? He's devoted to Rachel and he despises Leah, and it's gotten him into problem. Right, this is the problem that Jacob had, and he wasn't treating. Leah well, but yet that wasn't stopping him, of course, from having relations with her. Right? He was fulfilling his marital duties, as it were. But he wasn't in love with her. He was in love with Rachel. And that was the sad state of things. It's something we still see today in relationships. Right? Relationships void of love. It's just the sexual attraction that's keeping things going on. It's just the sex. 
So Jacob is still having relations with Leah, but he doesn't love Leah. That God saw that Leah was hated and that Rachel was barren. So what does God do? God brings forth children from Leah. So he opened her womb and she conceives four sons. Not, you know, one right after the other automatically, you know, like ding, 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 wasn't, you know, but, but so first she has Reuben and his name means behold a son. And her response to that is, well, surely now my husband's going to love me. He must, I mean, I just gave him a son. Now he's going to love me. And then then she gives birth to Simeon, right? Which means heard. She says, because the Lord has heard that I'm hated. So she named him Simeon. And then she has Levi, which means joined or attached. That's what his name means. She goes, now this time my husband will become attached to me. Now my husband's going to love. And she has Judah. And by the time she has her fourth son, Judah, she, she's, it, it seems that her attitude's changed a little bit. And this time she says, this time I'm just going to praise the Lord. I'm not going to worry about whether or not this son is going to gain my husband's affection or not. I'm just going to thank God for this child. Right? Her attitude has changed as time passes. And, and so what, what do you have? I mean, what, five to six years or, you know, six, seven years that's going on between the birth of these four kids. But she goes from, my, my husband's going to love me now. You know, the Lord has heard them hated. My, my husband will become attached to me now. I'm sure he will. To, you know, this time I'm just going to praise the Lord. It, it's a good attitude change for her, for Leah. Right? I mean, she started a little bit self-centered. The only thing she was worrying about was to get her husband to love her. But by the fourth child, she's just praising God. And she doesn't seem concerned anymore about Jacob's feelings. She is, right? We'll see that as, as it goes through. But, but, but her, you know, the Lord's starting to work on her. Now, here's the thing. This is, this type of, these type of marriages... Uh, you know, polygamy, multiple wives, which we see throughout the Old Testament. This is addressed later on in Deuteronomy and, and other uh, Old Testament books. And, and it says this in Deuteronomy chapter 21, just so you know before we keep going. It says, if a man has two wives, the one loved and the other unloved. I wonder where this came from, right? And both, and both the loved and the lo- unloved have borne him children, which is going to happen. And if the firstborn son belongs to the unloved, then on the day when he assigns his possessions as an inheritance to his son, he, miss, he may not treat the son of the loved as the firstborn in preference to the son of the unloved, who is the firstborn, but he shall acknowledge the firstborn, the son of the unloved, by giving him a double portion of all that he has, for he is the firstfruits of his strength. See, so God understood that culturally speaking, these type of marriages were happening throughout you know, with his people. He wanted to make sure that if you got into these relationships and you had multiple wives and you loved one and you didn't really love the other, that the children of the one that you didn't love was going to be taken care of properly. That if your firstborn child is a child of the one that you don't love, you can't just change things and say, well, I'm going to give my inheritance to the, child, the first child of the woman I loved. No, you have to give your inheritance to the firstborn, even if it was the woman that you didn't love. And this is how God is dealing with Jacob and this whole 
marriage thing by having these first four kids coming from Leah who was unloved. I mean, you have Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Two of those kids are the most important tribes to be part of Israel, right? Well, the drama has just started, unfortunately. See, so when we get to chapter 30, it says that Rachel saw that she was you know, barren. She wasn't given any ch- children to Jacob, and she envied her sister because her sister had already had four sons with Jacob. So she was jealous of her sister. Right? I mean, Jacob was still spending time with Rachel. It wasn't like he wasn't spending time with her. She just wasn't bearing any children. So she was emotional. She's frustrated. She's angry. She knew the problem wasn't with Jacob. She knew the problem was on her end. Right? She was barren. But she, she yells to Jacob. She screams at him in her anger, out of her frustration. She says, give me children or I will die. As if Jacob just could pull a child out of his pocket, you know, go to the garden and take one out of, you know. Yeah, well, I, I just have a few extra growing right over here. You know, as if he could do that. Right? And, and it seems extreme. It seems like an extreme response when she understands that the problem actually lies with her. But she is uh, speaking out of her frustration. And, and here's the thing. If you were barren and you had no children at all, it's the same as just if, if you reached a certain age in this culture and, and you were a woman and you never married, right? then you would, and this would be looked at as a sign of divine judgment against you and you would be shamed. You would shame your family. Right? You, you would be shamed. So, I mean, and on the other end of that, the more children you had, whether you gave birth to them yourself or they gave birth by proxy, right, which is if your servant would give birth, right, then the more security you had. And you wouldn't be looked down upon or you wouldn't bring shame to your family, the more children you had, etc. So her problem was right now with Rachel is that she's comparing herself to her sister Leah. She's saying, look at what God is doing with my sister Leah. I'm barren and I don't have any children. This isn't fair. I'm jealous of the situation. I'm angry, right? I'm going to take it out on my husband, Jacob. The Lord is blessing her. He's not blessing me. And this is how we get when we start comparing ourselves to others. When we see how God is blessing others and we don't see those blessings in our life, we we get jealous instead of sharing in their happiness, which is what we're supposed to do. You've heard the the quote that comparison is a thief of joy. It, It was. It robbed Rachel of her joy. You, you would think that Rachel and her sister, especially if they were twins, as is taught in tradition, that she would be happy for his sister. Which, you know, four kids. It's amazing. They're beautiful children. But she's not. She's jealous. She's mad. She's angry. Right? So when you get focused, when, when you get self-focused, specifically when you get frustrated, upset, and bitter towards those around you, because in your mindset, you think that they're more blessed than you are, God's blessing them more than he's blessing you, right? You can't rejoice with them. Yet the Bible tells us, like in Romans 12, 15, right? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. That's what we're supposed to do in the body of Christ. When we see God blessing someone in, in our family, We're not supposed to go, oh, I wish God would do that for me. Now I'm jealous that God hasn't done that for me, and I don't like them anymore. I don't want to hang out with them. God's blessing them. How come I'm not getting any of that blessing? How come those good things aren't happening to me? 
We can no longer rejoice with them, but we're supposed to be rejoicing with them. We're supposed to rejoice. We should be rejoicing when we see God at work in someone else's life. We should be rejoicing in that. But when we start comparing ourselves to them and wanting those blessings for ourselves, we become self-centered, selfish in that way. Hey, I want those things. Then we get bitter and we get jealous. We get angry. It robs us of our joy. So what this shows is the principle that it shows us here that Rachel's struggling with in this is that we need to stop looking at how God deals with or blesses others. It's not that you shouldn't notice what God's doing in the lives of those around you, because you should. You should be aware of what God is doing in, in the lives around you, in, in the, your body, in the body, in this body here, the church, in, in your friends, and your family. You should be aware of what God's doing so that you can rejoice it. But you shouldn't be so focused on it that you start getting upset that it's not happening to you. Instead, what you should be doing is just setting your eyes on Jesus. That's what you should be doing. Right? You should be happy about what Jesus is doing there, but your eyes should be continually focused on Jesus so you can focus on what he's doing in your life. Right? So set your, This is a principle that Jesus taught to Peter in John chapter 21. It's really simple. In John chapter 21, Peter, uh, verses 20 to 22, Peter turns and it says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. So John right, was following Peter and Jesus. All right? And he says, Lord, uh, who is it that is going to betray you? And then when Peter saw John following him, he, he said to Jesus, he said, Lord, what about this man? Right? What about, what about John, the one whom you loved, who leaned up against you during the Last Supper? And, Wanted to know who was going to be. What about, what about John? And Jesus says to Peter, he says, listen, if it is my will that he remain until I come, it's an interesting answer to the question that's being asked because he's not answering the question. But he says, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. That's his answer to Peter. And if you want to know what that means, what it means is whatever my will is for others, What's that to you? What's that to you? That's how I'm dealing with them. What's that to you? You just follow me. Don't be distracted by them. Don't be distracted by what I'm doing in their life. You just follow me. Right? It's something for all of us to remember. Follow Jesus. Be focused on what he is doing in your life and through your life. Don't be distracted by what he's doing in the lives of other believers as if he is blessing them more than you or whatever. Don't let that jealousy and that envy be stirred up. How come they received that check in the mail to help them pay their bills and we're struggling? Right? How come all these great things happen to them and not to us? Don't let that affect your relationship with Jesus. Don't, don't worry about what he's doing in their lives or about what his will is for them. You just follow Jesus. Whatever my will is for others, what is that to you, Jesus says. Just follow me. It's a lesson that has to be learned. So, so Jacob, rather upset at Rachel for saying this, give me my children, give me children or I'm going to die, he responds quite bluntly in return to Rachel, yet very truthfully, he says, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Right? Am I God? That's what he tells her. 
Am I God? It says he tells her this in his anger. He's upset with her for even bringing this up to him. He's like, am I God? Don't complain to me if God has withheld from you the fruit of the womb, right? He said, basically what he's saying is, why are you asking this of me? When then this is something you should be asking from God. You don't come up to me and say, give me children or I'm going to die. Maybe you should be asking God, why haven't I had any children yet? So Rachel's like, I have a plan. I want you to marry my servant. And Jacob doesn't seem to protest. Right? She says, here's my servant Billa, go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So he, she gives him her servant, Billa has a wife, and Jacob went into her, and Billa conceived and bore Jacob a son. Right? That's Jacob's fifth son now. It was quite customary at the time for children to be born to the maidservant, and legally the children would be considered Rachel's. That's how it worked. So Rachel says, God has judged me. He has heard my voice. So he names the child Dan. Dan means judged or justice. And then later, the servant has another child. Probably, you know, what are we talking? Year, year and a half later. Could be a couple years. She has another child with Jacob. This is now Jacob's sixth son. And Rachel says, I've wrestled with my sister and I have prevailed as if this is a competition and I'm winning. Even though... You know, Leah has four kids, and at this point, Rachel only has two. She's like, I've wrestled with my sister, and I've prevailed. So, I mean, look at, I mean, that's a, you can see the, the competition here that's going on. I'm better than her. There's actually a quote by Barnhouse that says, can a woman get so low that she will hit her sister over the head with a baby? <laughs> Rachel did. Right? And so she names him Naftali, and Naftali means wrestling. See, this was a fierce competition. The rivalry and the tension between these two was probably real thick, but Leah's not done yet either. She strikes back, right? She said, well, hey, I got a servant too, right? So, and Leah wasn't given birth anymore. It says that she saw that she had ceased bearing children, so she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Leah said, good fortune has come, so she named him Gad. Gad means... Fortunate or good fortune. Some say it also means a troop cometh. Right? And this is like Jacob's seventh son now. And then a little while later, Zilpah gives birth to another son, Jacob's eighth son. And Leah says this. She goes, happy am I for women have called me happy. And she names him Asher because Asher means happy. But it also shows her attitude at the time, which seems, she seems really concerned about her status more than her child. I'm going to name him happy because people are calling me happy. I'm, I'm becoming vindicated in front of everybody. Right? I'm, I'm, people are loving me, so I'm going to name him happy. She wasn't giving thanks to the Lord at this point again, like she was at the birth of her fourth child. But the work wages on. So in verse 14, it says, In days of the wheat harvest, Reuben who's now old enough to be wandering around and playing by himself. He's probably seven or eight years old now at this point, or, or more. We don't really know. He's out in the field, and he finds mandrakes. Now, mandrakes were a berry-like fruit 
was considered supposedly at the time to be an aphrodisiac. It was a fertility drug. Another name for the mandrake is love apple. He finds these mandrakes. And I don't know if he knew what mandrakes were good for. You know, maybe he did. I don't know. But it says that uh, he went and found the mandrakes and he brought them to his mother Leah. Well, Rachel knew what the mandrakes were good for. And Rachel says to Leah, please, please, may I have some of your son's mandrakes? And she's like, listen, you've already stolen my husband. Are you going to steal my son's mandrakes too? And she's like, well, tell you what, he can sleep with you tonight if you give me some of the mandrakes. And Leah's like, sounds good to me. So they make a deal, right? <laughs> this whole mess is crazy. And, uh, but, but Rachel wants to possibly solve the problem of her barren, being barren, so she's hoping the mandrakes are going to help her. Leah understands what she's up to, so they work out this deal. So when Jacob comes home from a hard day's work, he comes home at night, you know, Leah comes out to him and says, I've bought you tonight. I've bought you tonight. I mean, that's what Leah says to him. When Jacob comes home, she says, you must come in to me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. <laughs> okay, right? And he does. He's like, all right, well, if that's where I'm supposed to go, that's where I'm going. Right? I'm not sure really what Jacob is thinking. They don't really give us a picture of Jacob's thought process or what he's mentally dealing with as he goes through this whole mess. Other than he's probably thinking, whatever I got to do to keep peace. Right? I'm fine with it. So it says that God listened to Leah. She bore Jacob a fifth son. Now he said, this is in total his ninth son. And she says, God's given me my reward or my wages. So she names him Issachar, which means hired or reward. I wonder if these sons, when they grew up, started looking back and saying, wonder why they were named, why they were named. Mom, can, why did you name me Issachar? Well, let me tell you this story, son. And then after a while, they're like, Mom, you don't need to tell me that story anymore. I don't want to hear that. Keep it to yourself. Thanks, Mom. So anyway, she conceives again. She says, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me, she said. Right? She's, I mean, she's still waiting for Jacob to love her. And Zebulun, she names him Zebulun, which means exalted or honor. And then she conceives again as a daughter. They just throw that in there really quick. They normally never name daughters in the genealogies. So this may or may not be the first daughter that was born to Jacob. It's just the first daughter mentioned. And the only reason it's brought up is because it's going to play out later. Right? And Dinah's name means judgment. And again, you're going to see that play out later. I think it's chapter 35. And then it says at the end here, it says, God remembered Rachel. Not that God had forgot Rachel. We've been over this before. You know, not that God had stopped listening to Rachel. It just says, God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. She called his name Joseph, saying, may the Lord add to me another son. She says, I'm vindicated. I've finally given birth to a son, myself, right? And Joseph means, may he add or adding. She was thankful that the Lord gave her a son. At the same time, she was also faithfully believing that the Lord would give her one more, which he would. He would give her Benjamin, which is a whole different story. We're not there yet. It's a sad story. So by the end of verse 24 here in chapter 30, Jacob has 11 sons and he has one daughter. 11 sons, he's going to have one more, you know, 
before it's done, you will have 12 cents with Benjamin. And a messed up family, really. Two wives who were in competition with each other, all trying to basically gain the favor of Jacob, worried about their status and what's going on. And it's really just a mess. It's really just a mess. So let's talk about a couple things. One, the cultural shenanigans of the day. Because right? it's crazy to read what's going on. And, I mean, you have these two sisters in competition, and Jacob just trying to keep peace. It's the best way I can put it. I don't know. You know, going indiscriminately to whatever bed he found available at the time or whatever bed he was ordered to go to for the night, just playing along. Yet, the, regardless of what he was trying to do, the household did not seem at peace at all. It wasn't peaceful by any means. But he was producing a large family somewhat quickly. In reality, most of this happened within a 13-year period. He was down there for, for 20 years. He worked the first seven years before the marriage, and then there was the marriage, and he, he was married to Leah, and then he married Rachel, and then he worked the next seven years. So during those next seven years, they were also giving birth to children. So this whole window of all these kids being born happened within a 13-year period, which is crazy to think of. Uh, but he's, he's getting a large family. So we have to look at that and we have to say, well, it's God's will, right? It's God's will. And yes, it was God's will for him to have a family. God is, this is the beginnings the, the, of the nation of Israel. God was using this for his purpose. God was using this for his purpose. I'm not going to say that it was God's will for Jacob to be married to two wives, or technically four wives, because he got married to the servants. Right? Marriage wasn't a ceremony like what maybe you, know, you and I went through. There wasn't a, a little thing where you stand in front of people and, I do, I do, and you give a ring, and you know, someone sings a song, and you say your vows, and you know, whatever. It wasn't a ceremony like that. Matter of fact, the bride really wasn't around for most of the ceremony at all. And the actual wedding ceremony was the evening when the two got together. That was when they were married. That was the paperwork that was signed, right? That was marriage. So every time that Jacob went and slept with a servant, he was getting married to the servant. So he now has four wives. That's how they looked at it you know, customs of the day, and that's how God saw it. Because God defined marriage. God created marriage. But yet when God created marriage, it was never spoken of in a plural sense, right? It wasn't about a man and his wives. It was a man and a wife. It was always singular. I'm not going to say it was God's will that Jacob had four wives. Those were choices that Jacob made. Some of that was, uh, you know, obviously the... the um, fallout of deception and the consequences of lying and cheating and, and things like that. You know, so he made his bed. He had to lie in it, so to speak. He got himself into that problem. That was what happened. Now, polygamy is prevalent in the Old Testament. And it was, you know, like I said, it's culturally accepted at the time. And because of all the topics, I mean, this is what people like to do. They'll say, you know what? The Bible's 
kind of silent on the issue of polygamy. Or they'll pick another topic. The Bible's kind of silent on the issue of homosexuality. Or the Bible's kind of silent on the issue of this, of drug use. Or the Bible's kind of silent on the issue of abortion. Or the Bible's kind of silent on the... They'll, they'll try to tell you that, that you can't find that the Bible... There's never a quote where Jesus says, thou shalt not abort your child, right? And then they'll try to work around that. I don't think the Bible's quiet on polygamy. I think the Bible's really clear on polygamy. I think it's right here in this, in this passage, for example. It may not be a passage that where, where it comes out and it's trying to teach you, you know, the, the issues of polygamy. It's really a, a, to show us the birth of Jacob's children. That's really the purpose of the chapter. But within that, we see a problem. And that problem is polygamy. That's the problem, right? So people will say, well, the Bible's kind of silent on it, doesn't really talk it, right? So they'll, they'll find their way around it, and they'll find their way to, to say, well, therefore, it's acceptable, right? Name a religion we know that's figured out that poly thought polygamy was acceptable, uh, <clears throat> the Mormons. And then they say, well, the Mormons don't really do it today. Well, actually, some of the Mormons still do it today, right? It's the more extreme, uh, well, they have a name for them, I can't think, fundamentalist Mormon sects still do polygamy today. Polygamy is still quite common in Africa, too, for example. There's other countries where polygamy is still very common. I don't think the Bible is silent on it. I don't think you can read a passage like this and think that God isn't also telling you that, listen, there's a problem <laughs> with what's going on here. Yes, God's will is being done because Jacob's having children and the nation of Israel is being formed. This is the, the, you know, the, the, the foundation of what will become the nation of Israel. But, but the problem is polygamy. There's a problem. He had multiple wives. That is kind of a problem. You can see it's a problem. They're, they're in competition against each other. They're angry and envious at each other, right? So I don't think God's uh, polygamy is acceptable to God. He used it. He allowed them to make a choice. It's free will. He let them make the choice. And he used their choices to, to bring forth his will. He didn't accept it because he created marriage. And, he crea and he, the definition of marriage, one man, one woman, Right? And he recognized marriage within that definition and not outside of that definition. For example, if you remember back when Sarah gave her servant Hagar to Abraham, the Lord never once referred to Hagar as Abraham's wife. Of all the dealings that he has with Hagar, the Lord has with Hagar specifically in Genesis, also you know, between Abraham and Sarah, he always referred to Hagar as the servant as Sarah's servant. He never once referred to Hagar as Abraham's wife. The only person that's ever referred to as Abraham's wife in God's word is Sarah. That's the only marriage that God recognized. It's the only one. So yes, Abraham was legally, by the cultures of the, of the day, married to Hagar. God didn't see it that way. God didn't see it that way. The Lord never recognized the marriage. Even if the culture recognized it and considered it acceptable, God didn't. It's the same today. We have so much stuff today that the culture says, this is perfectly acceptable and it's okay. And they try to take God's word and twist it around to show that it's okay. It's fine. I actually saw someone, I'm not going to mention names, a celebrity. Can't never trust celebrities, I know. She's a singer. She came out and she said, listen, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. 
she said. And I believe true Christians should understand that God's word says abortion is acceptable. <laughs> but we shouldn't be surprised by this, really. We shouldn't be surprised by people trying to twist God's word into saying it says something different because it never, there's not a verse somewhere that says, thou shalt not abort your child or something like that. Just like what they try to do with the rapture. Well, the word rapture is not in the Bible, right? Right. Okay, well, it's in the Latin Bible, rapturo. But yeah, in the Greek, it's harpazo. They mean the same thing. It's a terrible argument. It, it doesn't stand up. So the culture today will tell you lots of things are acceptable that God's going to tell you they're not. They're not acceptable. And guess what? One of those things is polygamy. And if you read the multiple accounts of family life for those who took multiple wives in the Bible, and there's a whole lot of them, Jacob is one, but go up to Solomon. My goodness, it's crazy, unfathomable. Solomon, 700 wives, what? How did the guy not just throw himself out a window? I don't get it. But the picture you get rather clearly is, is very simple when it concerns things like this, right? Multiple wives led to multiple problems. It was a problem for Jacob. Sure, he may not have wanted to shame Leah, and maybe because of his compassion for her, if she was tricked, you know, he was trying to save her, that shame that would come if he abandoned Leah. That's a great heart, but yet there were still problems that came from it. There's still consequences to it. So God's intention for marriage was clear from the start. One man, one woman, always in the singular. Right? Seems like a simple thing, however... It's not a simple thing, right? So the things here that when we read them that are recorded here concerning Jacob and his wives, because like I said, technically he has four wives now, are obviously not for our imitation. We're not supposed to read these and go, hey, I can go out and get another wife now. I mean, just go, I dare you to go to Google and type in polygamy or multiple wives or, and see all the people in the United States that have multiple wives who, you know, they're, they're probably all on the Learning Channel or TLC or something like that. They probably have their own reality show. But it's, you know, it's common, but it's not accepted by God. He even talks about it later, like, I mean, later, I mean, there will be, the laws will be passed down. Leviticus 18, for example, Leviticus 18, 18 will f forbid the marrying of sisters, specifically. I wonder where that came from. There's so many things that are tied into some of the early happenings that go on. It'll say, you shall not take a woman as a rival wife to her sister. Oh, we seem to have a rivalry here. It was like, it was like, like God said, I, I didn't think I had to like define this for you so clearly. I just figured you'd understand what's right or wrong here. Do I have to list this out? I guess I do. <laughs> Here's your laws. You shall not take a, a, a sister as a rival wife. You know, I thought you guys might figure that out on your own. I guess not. I'm going to have to write it down for you. But here's what I want you to remember out of all of this. Because it's crazy. It's crazy. God's will is being done. It's still working in this situation. He's still working through the craziness and the chaos of this, of this marriage and all these children. This is what I want you to take from it. See, it's, it's God that's putting together the puzzle. He knows where each piece goes. He knows where each piece goes. We look at something like this, we can get confused. I mean, Jacob probably was confused. He probably was just like, this. I don't know what to do. You know, my wives don't like each other. I don't really like Leah. I love Rachel. But Leah's given me technically two-thirds of the nation of Israel. You know, eight of the 12 sons are given to him by Leah. Only four 
were given by Rachel, two by her servant and two by her. But it's God who's putting together the puzzle. God knows where each piece is going. We look at it, it's a mess. Some of you may be really good at putting together puzzles. I'm decent at putting together puzzles. I can just sit down and circle, right? I like putting together puzzles, but some people look at it and they're like, ah, I don't even know where to start. And when we see messes like this, or when we are in the middle of messes like this, we're like, I don't, I don't know how this is going to work out. I can't see how this is going to come to anything good. I can't see how God can do anything in this. And God's like, I, I don't see a problem. I see where each piece is and where it goes. I know exactly what I'm doing in the midst of your mess. And I, and I will be glorified. Because he's in the details. Right? Large or small, confused or not, God's in the details. And he has a grand plan. He has a grand plan for all of us. And we see this in the Lord's compassion for Leah. That's where it starts. Right? Maybe she was an innocent party in this. Maybe she wasn't an innocent party in this. It doesn't really matter at this point. God saw that she was neglected, that she was hated, that possibly she was an enemy of Jacob in the sense that he was like, upset at what happened, that he was holding it against her, right? He saw that she was despised by Rachel, that Rachel was mad at her, that she was envious of Leah. But yet, Leah, right? God had a great purpose for Leah. Like I said, two of the greatest tribes of the nation of Israel came from Leah, not from Rachel, right? Levi, which is the priestly tribe, and Judah, which is the kingly tribe. Jesus came from the tribe of Judah, right? Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's actually from both sides because he's our high priest and our king. See, God brought comfort and blessing to Leah. God met Leah's needs even when Jacob hated her. And that's where we see God's sovereignty in this whole thing. We see that the Lord was building this house. Not Jacob. Not Leah, not Rachel. They might have thought that they were helping the Lord out, or Jacob may have thought that he was helping the Lord out. He's promised me multiple descendants. I'm just doing my part, right? But it was God who was building the house. It was God who was building the house. Leah had children first because the Lord saw that she was unloved by Jacob. She had children later because the Lord listened to her. Rachel had children because God remembered and listened to Rachel. It was all God's doing. It was all God's doing. Every child should have been named something along the sorts of, I thank God, in reality. Because it was God who was doing all of this. And though they didn't see it, except maybe in a couple instances, they should have seen it. They should have seen that God was fulfilling his purpose and he was accomplishing his purpose because God has sovereignty over the womb as well as anything else. And it's repeated throughout the Bible. The purposing, purposes of God in opening one womb or closing another womb may seem strange to us, may seem completely unknowable to us. Why is he doing that? Why, didn't, you know, why did he do that? But in that, we can be encouraged and we can be faithful. Why? Because of God. Because he's f seeing it through. 
Whatever he starts, he's going to finish. He's, like I said, he's going to accomplish his purpose. And for that, what does it tell us? It tells us that God has a purpose for us. Because you may have found yourself in a similar situation. Hopefully not in this exact situation, right? Hopefully you've never found yourself in a situation where you have multiple spouses and each one's competing against each other and you're like, ah, what to do, what to do? Hopefully you've never found yourself in that situation. But you may have found yourself in a situation where it's hectic, it's crazy, it's confused, it's chaos, and you're just in the middle trying to keep peace. What do I do? And you may thinking while you're trying to keep peace, you're like, I don't know how anything good's going to come out of this. I just cannot see the daylight through all of this darkness and craziness that's going on right now. But you, but you can. If you just keep your eyes on God and realize that he has a purpose and he's the one putting the puzzle pieces together, it's not you. So just keep following God. Be confident in that. That even through the chaos and even through the troubled times that he has a purpose for you and that he will see it through. It says in Psalms 33, verse 11, that the counsel of the Lord stands forever, right? The plans or the purposes of his heart to all generations. From, from past to the future, right? He knows what he's doing. And we can have confidence in that, amen?